This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hour number three of our Sunday get-together here on 98.7 ESPN. Hanging out with you at 1-800-919-3776. We'll talk to Jay Bromley in a second, but first, I promised you, I'm delivering. Don't miss Jim Jeffries' Give Them What They Want tour for two shows at the Beacon Theater on Thursday, November 2nd and Friday, November 3rd. Tickets on sale now at jimjeffries.com. But if you're calling number eight, mm-hmm, eight for Aaron Rodgers, right now at, listen carefully, 888-987-ESPN, 888 888- 987 ESPN, and you'll score a pair of tickets to the show on November 2nd. For full contest rule, go to ESPNNewYork.com. Good luck, and dial quickly. A lot of people want these tickets. A lot of people want to hear what Jay Bromley's got to say about last night's game. He joins me next on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Jay, how are you? Hey, Larry. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. My pleasure, my friend. Uh, just give me your overall thoughts on the game first, and then uh, we'll take sides. Hey, man, I thought it was a good game. Obviously, super highly anticipated. Jets versus Giants every single preseason, kind of like uh, the, a mental battle for New York, right? It's always fun to play. Um, but obviously, with Aaron Rodgers making his debut and going out there, there was a lot of emotions in there, and I thought that was pretty cool. It brought some extra pizzazz to that meeting. I thought the overall game was good. I uh, got a chance to see Aaron Rodgers, you know, do some things and uh, do what he does and score some touchdowns, even though, you know, more of a big blue fan. But that's always exciting for New York football. And overall, man, just seeing a lot of young guys go out there and, you know, hopefully solidify some job opportunities and put some good film out there for other opportunities. Jay, before we lock into the players, let me just take this because now, I mean, when you played, you had a, you know, a series of days to cut down to 53. Now it's a one-shot deal. You're going from 90 to 53 in one day what what's that pressure like of a game last night understanding that you have to do something to jump off the tape off the screen to try to have a shot to come back make a practice squad or with make the, the practice squad of the team you're on or hopefully put something on tape where you can go to another team and possibly fill in the depth situation there yeah i mean the pressure is always there man training camp is is, is really tough and vigorous is long and Guys know, you know, guys are on the bubble, you know you're on the bubble. Um, a lot of people don't understand that, and a lot of times 85 90% of the roster is really probably solidified for the most part by the time you get through the mini camps. Um, guys have already, they, they've already, coaches have already kind of started to line certain things up. There's a couple bubble spots and positions that they're really trying to fill, and that's what they're getting a feel for in the preseason. Um, Obviously, like you said, the big roster cut where you just have one cut in general with that Grim Reapers walk around that locker room <laughs> is not fun, right? It's not fun at all. And speaking from a guy that has been cut before, right, is not fun at all, right? You don't know what the next steps are. But I think nowadays it's different because, like, almost essentially a few years ago, they started to institute where veteran players could actually go and practice squad, right? So we mm. start to see that more. Like, you can bring in a veteran player put them on practice squad, allow them to get acclimated and still have that uh, experience that you can pull up to the team. Before, that wasn't the case. It was only young players on practice squad. So if you had to go to your practice squad player, you knew you were going to really just ask some special team youth for the most part, not a guy that had, you know, 
six, seven, eight years in the league that could really be implemented. So I think now we're dealing with a much different monster, which is beneficial for the teams, but that anxiety of, man, cut day uh, never goes away. <laughs> I know that's right. Jay, uh, let's talk defenses, right? What what jumps out to you, and I know it was mostly second string for the Giants, but what jumps out to you uh, with the defense, the defense that the Giants play, and what what role can Isaiah Isaiah Simmons have on this roster? Yeah, that trade, man. It was. It's, it's, I think it's a good trade for the Giants. I don't think they give up too much. What is it like a seventh rounder? I, I don't mm-hmm. think they lose a lot in that. You get a, a first round pick. This guy when he was at Clemson was a phenomenal player. Um, and even productive in the league. It's not like he's not productive. It's just. He's kind of fits more of that tweener. Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? Is he a, is he, can you rush him off the edge? Right. And, you know, Jack of, Jack of all trades, master of none kind of philosophy. Uh, but, it, but in Martindale's system, hopefully he can be, he can really help out that defensive front. He's a long rangy guy, right? Who can blitz well and, uh, you know, win one on one pass rushes, especially versus running backs and things of that nature. So I think that that versatility will fit well in the system when you have a, Defensive line, I think, is probably a little bit more strong than what Arizona has as far as with Dexter Lawrence, with Williams, right, and um, Thibodeau, right? He can, uh, you know, with one-on-one situations, you know, put some pressure on the quarterback. Now, you, when you were with the Giants, you were coached by defensively Steve Spagnuolo. How how close is he to what Wink Martindale likes to do? Because both of those guys, if I remember correctly, they just love to blitz. Yeah, that was that was that was uh, Spag's key. He and if you look at what he does in you know in Kansas City, it's the same thing. Uh, the good thing about defensive coordinators is, relatively, they don't really change their stripes that much. They, mm. they kind of take themselves wherever they go, <laughs> and they just try to make have players that fit the system that can be most beneficial for them. And um, you know, like you said, blitzing is just a part of the game. You're not gonna win versus Aaron Rodgers. Not sitting back playing cover two, cover three, two man over the top. You're not going to win like that. There's a weakness to every single defense, and the veteran quarterbacks will find it. So pressure actually mitigates that risk of time that, that the quarterback has to observe and able to make the right decisions. And then obviously you couple that with a few hits that might make him a little more ginger when he throws that ball, to say the least, <laughs> really helps out the defense overall. Now, Jay, what did you see from the Jet defense? They had their their first teamers in there. Jets, man, Jets. Robert Sala uh, and I had the fortune of playing with him and for him uh, in the Forty ers He is a get up the field, uh, you know, really puncture right, create create new line of scrimmage kind of defense, and that's what you're going to see from the Jets. Their defensive line is, I feel like, notoriously the Jets kind of have a really good like defensive line, they kind of like always, even look, we poached, the Giants poached Leonard Williams from there, right? Mm-hmm. So so it's like, and they always have some really good football players, right? So it, they still have that. They're still up front um, heavy. They have Sauce Gardner really locking down one side of the field or whomever he's guarded for the most part. And it's really, I think that's always going to come to play. The I think the biggest thing is really going to be how does that defense not get worn out if the offense can't be as productive as they should be. Jay, give us a little insight because, uh, and my guest is Jay Bromley. Jay, give us a little insight into Robert Sala. There's been a lot of questions, a lot of criticisms about him. Uh, and I understand he was just a defensive coordinator when you were with him. He's not a head coach, so the situations are a little different. 
But how does he interact with players? Is he a, he seems to be a very rah-rah guy, but is he a guy that behind closed doors, is he a screamer? Is he a, is he a yeller? Is he a guy that will heavily criticize his players? What, what, what type of, what type of coordinator personality wise was Robert Sala? Robert Sala, he's, he's a guy that understands the players. I think that he's relatively young enough to kind of still have some of that, to be in touch with the players to a certain extent. But he definitely was going to, you know, get get gassed up and get amped up and make sure that he, he showed his emotion as far as, you know, throughout the course of a game or even throughout the course of a training camp. So I think he's a guy that players like because they relate to because he looks like he, he even looks the part like he played football before, right? This guy's a fit guy, um, right? So so it's a lot of things that, you know, you can correlate with Robert Sala. Um, and then, like, the way he plays, he just wants to coach. He loves the game. He loves his dedication, you know, his his commitment to the game, and then overall understanding just, man, how to put his players in a position to be successful. When you get guys like that, man, you want to play for him, and that's the reason he's a head coach, like, no doubt about it. He's going to be successful. It's just a matter of time, and, and, you know, people don't like to say it, but you need some good amount of luck in this league to an extent to be successful. Jay, how important is it, and one more on Salah, how important is it for you as a player to see your coach grow, right, to see him okay, I see what we did last year. Oh, there's adjustments. I see how he's changing. I see that he's put some new stuff in. How important is that for players to see uh, their coordinators or line coaches or head coaches grow and get better? I think it's very important, man, because you get to see your coaches being committed to the same things they expect of you. They expect uh, continuity. They expect sustainability, but they also expect you to um, you know, grow and learn from your mistakes from last year and uh, make better decisions, uh, you know, because the game isn't just X's and O's like it's in, 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 in Mo's and Joe's. It's about, you know, making proper decisions, when to kick the field goal, when to go for it on fourth and one, right? How, if you're getting better in the off season, making sure that you're being accountable, it's like, you know what, I should, I should have kicked that field goal, but you know what, if I'm in that position again, I'm, I'm going to do it differently, right? You, you get to see that over time. And you get to see how they interact with the players overall, right? Are they are they an a-hole? Do they come in as an a-hole and do they stay an a-hole even though you're losing? Uh, we, I think we see that pretty often with, with coaches that come from that, that Belichick thing where they come in, they think they're Belichick, and it doesn't work. 99% of them, it doesn't work. You can't necessarily take one person's uh, you know thought process and implement it somewhere else and have success automatically. You have to be able to adapt, adjust, and figure out your own way of kind of cooking this cake, you know, to get the best results. Jay Bromley's my guest. All right, Jay, a lot of criticism about this Jets offensive line. What did you I understand they went against the twos, but what did you see from them last night? Uh, I, I think, you know, I think I think there's a lot to be desired, but I think there's a lot of optimism. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to the Jets and when it comes to the Giants and, and the things that they they can both do, obviously we got a good taste of a little sample size of Aaron Rodgers, but I, I think that there's a lot. You know, they lost Corey Davis, and um, that's a big hit from a productivity standpoint from them. But they have a lot to bring forth. So I think uh, this is a long season. It's a very long season, and we're going to see how health and old offensive lines and different things of that nature stand up to you know, what the, the, the rigorous season kind of brings forth to you. So I think it's a, it's a war of attrition when you get to a certain amount in the season. So we'll see. I tell you this, though, um, Jay, in looking at the Giants, 
I think, and I'll see if you agree with me, uh, offensively, they should be much more potent than they were last year. I mean, they've got speed. You've got a tight end like Waller who is, uh, you know, if he can stay healthy, has been a big-time performer production-wise in the league. This is going to be a little different team than the the RPO <laughs> Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley that we saw first part of last season. Maybe, um, but we but we also can't ignore the fact that that the fruit of that was success, right? Getting back to the playoffs, right? Winning a playoff game, right? Obviously, relying on defense to really help you know uh, solidify all of that. We hope that Hyatt can come in there and be a guy that kind of breaks the top of the defense off, right, and creates more room and more avenues for Saquon and other running backs. And Dan Waller, we know tight ends are, are you know, safety blankets for quarterbacks. Those are the guys that, you know, Darren Waller is, a, you know, when healthy, he could be a top five tight end in the league. So we know that he's a matchup nightmare. So I think that there's a ton of growth and opportunity. Now, can Daniel Jones be the guy who can stand in there find the right guy, right, at the right time consistently, right, and continue to let Saquon, right, soften the defense up and then figure out when to take your shot. Jay, let me ask you two uh, just broad questions about the league. Where do you see preseason going? I mean, you know, we had a situation last night where there was an injury and the teams walked off the field, we're done. Uh, You're seeing more and more teams involving in practice you know, uh, uh, joint practices when they're going to face that team the same week in preseason. Uh, with the fear of injury, are we looking at, you know, maybe even less preseason games and more of the joint practices? Potentially. I mean, similar to what I said earlier, um, we, you know, as fans, it's more of the product, right? Um, mm. You know, essentially, and look, at, it's, it's kind of like playoff games to an extent when, when, from a player's perspective, right? Aaron Rodgers goes up there. He doesn't make the same you know, 15, 20 million a game for the preseason that he's making in the regular season, right? So you kind of get almost like you get him for free, you know what I'm saying, in the preseason. Mm-hmm. So it's not actually beneficial to the player to go out there and risk their body, especially when they, um, you know, they establish themselves, right? The preseason was always more so about, you know, probably uh, now so more so about the younger guys, you know, those that 10% figuring out a way to get on a team. But back in the day, they used the preseason as an opportunity, like dress rehearsal, right? They wanted guys to get in rhythm. They want guys to do this. But then L.A. proved, what, a couple of years ago that they never played their players and they had great success? Because you're getting all the reps in practice anyway. These guys are prepared for the game. They work, they work their whole lives for this. It's not as valuable to them. So I think that because of injury and because of the things like you're saying, I think that potentially, you know, they might figure out a different way. To, uh, to actually evaluate players and then, you know, figure out a way, another way to kind of get the fans involved and give them something to look forward to. Yeah, it's interesting, Jay, because, you know, then I hear what you're saying about them, you know, going through the, you know, the practices and building your chemistry and timing and everything of that nature. But then it's funny because you see the start of the season, teams just struggle to get going. You know, they, you, it's like you build the momentum from the beginning of the season and going up until the end. And, you know, I remember how you talked to us previously about, you know, coaches breaking the season up into quarters and not a little uneven because of 17. But, uh, you know, how, how do you now, how do you get your players ready to get off to that quick start? Because teams like the Jets who have a tough schedule, the Giants have a tough schedule. Jay, it's important for them to get off to a quick start. I agree. It, it, I mean, the reality of it is it's going to be the teams that 
in the beginning that have the quick start are the ones that have the most chemistry for whatever reason. And that could be not from a lack of trying, but just can be from whatever that chemistry is, just from them being together, whatever it is. Because I remember being with players where even the players, like I remember Snacks Harrison, when I played with him, he was like, man, I really don't feel like I'm really in shape until week five or six. So he's like, I'm really not and really not in game shape and really ready to play until week five or six. But look how many games you have to play to get to that point. So and I, and this might not be true for every single player. So everybody, you know, different strokes for different folks. But I think that, you know, like you said, even with those dress rehearsals in the preseason, people still weren't really prepared. Timing still wasn't down, right? Because you because it's not practice is a little bit different because there's no there's no penalty, right? Mm for your yeah. mis- like, mistakes like that. So, like, you, you, you run in the wrong route, you get to come back, talk about it, run the same play again. In this game, no, that pick is really six points, mm-hmm. right? That that turnover really does count. You know what I'm saying? The two-minute, really, you really did a poor job of clock. I mean, there's no clock management like that with, with, as pressure on the coaching staff like that. So, you know, that, that real-time game is, is a game-changer for learning curve. Jay Brownlee, we are two weeks away from the start of the NFL season. It's going to be crazy. My friend, always good talking to you. We'll chat down the line. Thank you, Larry. It's always been a pleasure. All right. Thank you, sir. That's Jay Bromley. I'll give you some thoughts of what he had to say, and we'll hear from Aaron Rodgers and what's going on in Dallas. All that's next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. So I thought Jay Bromley hit on some interesting points uh, talking about the Jets and Giants last night, and I'm very, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see how both these team, both of these teams start out. All right, because you know they both have divisional games at home. They both have uh, games against teams that players, teams that they have to beat. Okay, they the the Jets have to beat Buffalo, and the Giants have to beat Dallas. I mean, this season, and once again, the NFC is not what the AFC is. We all know that. That's clear. The AFC is by far the better, deeper conference. But And and I realize that it's on paper. But when you look at this Giants team, I'm just telling you, paper and my eyes tell me they're a better team than they were last year. And they won nine games last year. Yeah, I know the schedule is tougher. So I think if bo- it's imperative for both of these teams to get off to a really good start. If you can navigate at least 500 or better to the toughest part of your schedule, that's going to help you. Okay? And, and I know it's early and we're just looking, af- looking forward at the whole season. And, of course, you take it week by week like all the teams do. All the teams say it. All the coaches say it. They all say the same thing. Got to take it week by week. It's game by game. One game at a time that we don't get too high. We don't get too low. I mean, I could sing the song with you. <laughs> I've heard it enough over the years. And that's how they have to look at things. I get it. But ultimately, both of these teams need to get off to a fast start, especially the Jets, because there is so much pressure on this team. Oh, they're all in it. They're in it to win now. They're, this is a team that has to show what they can do. They've got Aaron Rodgers. The offensive line is this, and the secondary is that. And what are they going to do when they have no backup in case he gets hurt? And so all, all the frailties, all the things that you know about your team. 
and the pressures of being the longest team in the NFL to not make it between postseason appearances. And so, you know, really for them, to me, the bottom line is you have to make the playoffs. You have to. And so even if they're not as potent as the 15-2 and two that my weekday partner Gordon Damer's algorithm suggests that they will be, they have to be a team that is strong in the division and the conference. And as one of the callers pointed out earlier, this has got to be the year that they beat New England once, if not twice. This has to be the year. You cannot continue to think that you are a Super Bowl contender, a, a worthy playoff team, and you can't beat teams in your own division, at least split. You have to at least split with every team in your division. You have to. That's a prerequisite for you making the postseason. And even if you are, are, you know, maybe you lose one or two more in the conference than you do. All right. Maybe you're under 500 in the conference. Then, you know, that's where your seeding lies for the postseason. So how this team moves forward, how this team, how the teams, both the Jets and Giants, how they learn. And for the most part, you kind of get the impression because of how vocal Dable is on the sidelines that and how his team has responded discipline-wise and not turning the ball over and doing things and being so so buttoned up that you give him the thought process of being the better coach. But all the time, once again, what Bromley said about Salah is interesting, that players play for him. And ultimately, that's the bottom line. Because no matter who the head coach is, whether you're a screamer or a yeller, or whether you're a pat on the butter, okay, either one of those two, it's individually based. There's some players that you have to scream at. There's some players that you have to motivate. There's some players that you have to yell and get in their faces. And there's some players that you have to just call them over and say, listen, here's what I saw. Boom, boom, boom. You can do better than that. I need you to show me. So it's ultimately the psychology of the coach knowing his team being the best way to handle things. That's how you figure out and that's how you look at the success of what makes a successful head coach in the National Football League or anywhere. It's hitting the right player with the right note at the right time. We'll continue the conversation next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Warren Barrows of Oradell, New Jersey. He's going to check out Jim Jeffries at the Beacon Theater in November. You and the guest, enjoy it. Courtesy of us here on 98.7 ESPN. Sit back to the phones. Jose's in Patterson. What's up, Jose? Larry, what's going on, my brother? Everything is good, man. What's happening? Good, good. Big fan, man. Always up calling in. You always got that positive you. energy. Thank you, sir. Um, first, two things. First mm-hmm. of all, the Jets are far from done with um, spending or adding guys. So I think everything's going to be just fine. Everybody's like, oh, look at Aaron running out and, and look at the uh, receiving. They're not done. They're far from done. They have money. They have traders. They can they have players they can trade. So before that... 
you know, beginning of the season and, and during the season, before that trade deadline, I really do think you, you'll see a guy like Devontae Adams end up in New York, and you'll also see uh, a starting lineman added to that line, that offensive line. So everybody needs to calm down. They're not going to let Aaron down, you know, just like they said on, on Hard Knocks. When he gets upset, he's going to let you know, and he's not going to get you that rock. So they're going to make sure he has what he needs. He's going to get the protection. They are, again, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Devontae. And my second thing was um, you're going to see that hookup uh, all day with him and Wilson, man. He's going to take Wilson. If if Wilson was rookie of the year last year, he's, Wilson's going to be all pro, and he's going to put up some phenomenal numbers this year because of Aaron. That connection is just – I told somebody yesterday while we were watching the game, and I'm like, dude, it's going to be insane the numbers Wilson's going to end up with. I don't. I wouldn't doubt if, if he ends up wide receiver of the year and just, like, has phenomenal numbers. And I told everybody, you better bet that he's going to have over 10 touchdowns this year. Thanks a lot, Larry. All right, Jose, thanks for the phone call. I will say this. Um, somebody else is going to have to help out Aaron Rodgers because eventually teams are going to try to take a Wilson away from him. You'll double him. You'll do something over the top. You're not just going to sit there and let, and let uh, you know, Wilson run wild, okay, in that secondary. Now, there's going to be some plays, obviously, that he will make. All right, you you expect that. We understand that. There's going to be some plays. But I think and and potentially you're right. From a production standpoint, this could be an unbelievable year for him. Unbelievable. But once again, I I still believe that you're going to have to um you know, uh uh have somebody else to come out there and help him out. And I think, you know, the tight ends have been very good for the Jets. I saw a couple of them last night make some plays. So I think that's going to be, you know, that's going to be a, a, an interesting scenario. Plus, uh, I'm very curious to see how this running back situation is going to be, right? And we haven't talked a lot about that. But, you know, with Cook and Hall, that's another side of this. So if they can get their run blocking squared away, and they, we can see this offensive line. And, Jose, while I understand what you're saying about availability of tackles and whatnot, you just... For me, at this time of the year, I just get very concerned as to the quality of players who are available right now, like off the waiver wire and whatnot. And I know you mentioned trades and stuff like that, but if I've got a really good tackle or if there's a really good tackle on my team, I'm not trading him right now. I'm, he's not a free agent. I've locked him up. You know, it, it's very rare that you get a, a very, very talented. Now, you can get a a player that's decent, you can get a, what we call a serviceable who might even be an upgrade for you. Okay. It might be an upgrade for you. could be a serviceable player. But um, for me, I I just, I'm just not sure that you can, uh, you know, the quality of player you're going to get. Devontae Adams. Wow. That would be amazing. I'm not sure about that one. That would be amazing if they were able to get Devontae Adams. You know, that clearly would add to, uh, you know, what they were able to do offensively. But once again, it's, you know, it's it's the availability of of the players, what you can do, what you can get. And, of course, the other part of it is, very simply, is the execution of the players that you have. All right, so what what will they do? What What is the next process for them? 
to take that next step. And that's what you want to see. You know, that's, that's, that's what you're looking for. And can the Jets do that? A team that has, you know, historically had some issues in adding depth to their team. That, that's a question. That's a major question. Will they be able to do that? And, yeah, there's questions about the offensive line, Jose, because, you know, they haven't played well. <laughs> you know? Had they played better, there would be no questions. And like we said, there's questions about a lot of offensive lines in the National Football League. A lot of them. But not like this. Not when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers back there. And I hope he gets his footing right on that turf. (laughs) Because he looked pretty awkward slipping on that turf. But once again, didn't get hurt, threw the ball out of bounds, and that's what you want to see. When we return, Jerry Jones has made a trade at quarterback. Plus, Harvey Cruz is upset. And I want to know why. He'll tell us that as well. Next on 9870 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hardesty on a Sunday on 987 ESPN. All right, so before I hear from John Lynch and Jerry Jones, I gotta hear from Harvey Cruz. Tom Harvey has been simmering all day. He's been on the slow boil. He's not happy. He is a devout Red Bulls fan. He's a devout soccer guy. I hear him all across the the platforms here on 98.7 talking soccer, be it Anita, be it Barton Hahn, be it wherever he's working. You know he has a passion for soccer. And so when I hear him, Tom just, just, I mean, after he said, Good afternoon. He went right into it. He, he was just not happy. So much like I do with callers when they've had tough loss, Mets or Yankees, tough loss, Jets or Giants, tough loss, Knicks, Mets, Rangers, Nets, I'm here for you. So, Harvey, the floor is yours. You can vent away, my friend. Look, I don't want to take up too much of the time. This is not the Harvey Cruz show, sadly. But I'll just say this. I can take losing as a fan. You know, I've had my fair share of losses this season, my fair share of wins, all the fun stuff. What I cannot stomach is when the organization hosting a game takes the fan's pride and takes them out of the equation. Mm. I go into the game. I found parking. Thankfully, I didn't tell this. I found parking for 10 bucks. thankfully. Wow. That was the best part of my night that time. (laughs) I go walking through the path station where there's vendors selling messy everything, T-shirts, bucket hats, shirts, everything. But then I see a picture that inside the team store, the Red Bulls are selling messy T-shirts. They themselves are selling messy T-shirts. I can't begin to tell you how annoyed I was because... I can't think of another team in pro sports that would do this. Mark the Grand Prix, who was the general manager of the Red Bulls, did an interview where he said that he was going to, um, I guess, big up the event because it's technically Messi's uh, Major League Soccer debut. Mm-hmm. And he, ca- he did that. 
by selling t-shirts in the, the store. He brought out, I believe they had Fat Joe and Carmelo Anthony as tourists for the event. Wow. And all that stuff. But I can't think can you can you think of another team like like if the Knicks or Nets were selling Michael Jordan t shirts in their own in their own store? Now I'm not inside Madison Square Garden, so I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just going by what I see in my team. I was disgusted. And not only that, the fans that made it to the team to the arena, they know what they're going for. They're only seeing Messi. Right. But it's like the organization has cut out and disconnected themselves from the fans so hard that 90% of the building is only there for one guy, which is understandable because he's he transcends sport. Mm-hmm. But it's like, man, like I go to these games every week, every other weekend, and it's like I don't know what, what I'm doing there for. Like I'm just I'm there for the team. I root for the laundry. But it's like, man, like, what else am I there for? Like, the, the soccer is not that very good. The team isn't that very good. The team that just beat you last night is was in last place in the Eastern Conference. And now it's like, you know, you go on Twitter and you look at, they're blaming the front office for not um, investing in the on-field product. I was reading stories. My team has the third lowest payroll in all of Major League Soccer. Mm-hmm. They are the youngest team in Major League Soccer. They just fired their coach 10 games into the season to start the season. Wow. You know, the interim Troy Lissett is doing all he can with his roster, and he's improved the results. But, you know, you got players out there who aren't, uh, they are not cut for this level. And so it just boils my blood because, yeah, I posted on Twitter this long thread. It's getting a lot of, I guess, likes because I'm guessing um, I share the same sentiment that they are or they do as me. So I just don't understand um, what needs to be done. You know, 10 years ago, Larry, they won their their first trophy. Mm -hmm. And five years ago, they won their second trophy. I mean, I'm sorry, the third trophy um, as the best home team and as as the best record in franchise history. Wow. And I've heard nothing from the team about whether they're going to honor any of those two teams. Nothing. And so it's just like, like I'm gonna be there. I'm a season ticket holder. I'm gonna be uh-huh. there. They're not gonna get rid You're of invested. me. I'm You're invested. I'm there for life. Mm-hmm. But it's like, show me some love. Can I, <laughs> can I get some love? Can I, can I understand the plan being put forth for the future? Yeah. yeah. You know. So it's like, it's rough. And then for you to see, and and I get it. Okay, I understand you're embracing Messi. He's a great player. He's he's had an impact on the team that he's since he's been here. There's no question about it. But can we not put his jerseys in our store, please? I love Messi. I love him, Messi. Don't get me wrong. I love playing. Uh, I love watching him play. He uh-huh. scored a great goal last night. But last time I checked, this is the major soccer league, not the Messi soccer league. That's it. And you know, you you, you wouldn't see the any other team doing that you wouldn't see rangers selling martin bro door jerseys or nope. t-shirts or whatnot nope <laughs> that's not happening that's not happening i hear you harvey so see tom now i understand why he was his jaw was a little tight i would be too because imagine just nowadays let's use the example i'll use the knicks and the nets again what harvey was saying lebron we could say has the most history in the game from what what he's accomplished right now. So imagine if it was his final season 
and they were selling LeBron James merch in MSG or the Barclays Center. Yeah. I'm pretty sure both arenas would be burned down by New York fans if <laughs> yep. that was the case. So yeah. it's unbelievable. Now, Harvey, I'll pose this question to you because you're on the beat with everything. Have other MLS teams embraced this tradition of trying to cash in in whatever way possible with Messi selling his merch at their games? Um, every team is going to do their best to cash in because they're going to drive in um, the most fans and the most revenue. Yesterday, last night, was a franchise record crowd because of that guy only. Over 26,000 fans sold out the arena. There hasn't been a sell like that for Red Bulls game since last year when they played NYCFC, and that's because it's a rivalry game. You know, that sells itself. It's not because one guy um, showed up to the league and then showed up here. Um, but yeah, I mean, Messi, they're playing more road games this year, and um, they play at Los Angeles, and that's Charlotte, I believe, and at Atlanta, so they're going to sell out because it's probably going to be one of the few times you see them. But it's like, man, like I remember when that used to be the Red Bull Stadium vibe, mm. when the team was was the reason you came to the game. Yeah, You know, he didn't yeah. start last night, Messi. He didn't start last night. But when he came off the bench in the second half, it was as if a mythical figure just came <laughs> through the town. <laughs> Everybody's around me. They have cameras. They're crowding the area. They're they're filming and all that stuff. Greatness. He scored in front of me. Oh. In my section, I was in the second round. And he scored in front of me, and he celebrated in front of me with everybody and all that. Mm. And like, adding insult to injury. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> it was not the best. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry, Harvey. Let me speak for the Red Bulls organization. I apologize. Not that it means anything, but I apologize. And hopefully they'll hear what the fans are saying and they'll make some adjustments. Yeah. Hopefully. Sure. Hope well, you never know. Hopefully. Hopefully they will. Like the adjustment that Jerry Jones has made. I now listen, everybody understands what's going on with Trey Lance. He's been the disappointment in Frisco. And listen, you have to be cons- if a Shanahan guy can't figure out how to make you better and moves on from you, you wonder if he if just how good a player he really is. But anyway, Trey Lance is now a Dallas Cowboy. Jerry Jones, why'd you get him? We didn't waste any time. The minute that we knew that they were serious about trading, then we didn't want the phone to hang up. We did it uh, the equivalent of yesterday. And so uh, we uh, felt good about him, about him in the evaluation that we had for him in the draft. We felt good about what we've seen on tape that he's done since he's been in the NFL. And it was one that we just made the decision almost the minute we heard the name. Uh, Let's get him. All right, so help me out. What tape did he watch? that makes him think that he's going to be better than he was for the Niners who said no and started Mr. Irrelevant over him. As a matter of fact, Sam Darnold is number two. Sam Darnold. So that means something's up with Trey Lance. So maybe it's a leverage thing. Uh, Jerry Jones, does Lance affect Dak Prescott in any way? Didn't cross my mind, period, about an impact here regarding Dak. I know that Dak wants to do anything we can do to improve this team, and um, we're we're going to do it. Uh, huh. Okay. Long-term deal, right? Hmm. John Lynch, courtesy of KPIX, why'd you trade Lance to the Cowboys? 
a really hard day. Uh, such a such a wonderful young man. You know, we took a shot and it, it didn't work out. We own that. We take accountability for it. But I think, as I as I think you guys do, his story is still very much unwritten. And uh, I'm excited for Trey. Uh, Dallas stepped up and really wanted him, and uh, they came after him. And I think it's going to be a great landing spot for him. All right. Uh, you know, look, we'll wait and see. Obviously, some quarterbacks, they don't age and mature at the same rate. They don't learn the game at the same rate. I mean, the perfect example of that is Geno Smith, right? The season he had last year after playing for the Jets, after playing for the Giants, after being a backup in Seattle, gets the Seattle deal as the starter after Russell uh, Wilson is traded and has a an unbelievable season. And now you're looking at him and you're wondering, can he do it again? So, yeah, everybody everybody doesn't learn the game the same way. Everybody is not coached the same. Everybody doesn't learn the same. But it is interesting to see that Dallas has made this move to add him to the roster when he was going to sit there and be, you know, the number three quarterback very comfortably. So there's something that the Niners saw that they don't think they can add to him. And once again, and Lance may work harder in Dallas and somebody may be able to reach him because there's always somebody that thinks they can work on somebody else to make them better. Always. There's always another team that thinks they're smarter than you are. And maybe they will prove themselves right. But considering the track record of Shanahan's, especially Kyle Shanahan, it's going to be tough to prove for me. That wraps up this edition of the Larry Hardesty Show. We thank you for joining us. Tom Harvey, thank you very much. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.